Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dishing with Stephanie's Dish, the podcast series where we talk to people in the food space. Many of them have written cookbooks or produced recipes, and there's a woman that she has no idea how much I stalk her. Her name's Amanda Pa. She's with me today. She's like, I don't even know what you're going to ask me. She's at Heartbeat Kitchen on Instagram, and she wrote a cookbook in 2014 called Smitten with Squash. That was like a lovely cookbook that took this like often maligned vegetable and elevated it into all different kinds of things. Amanda, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to chat with you today. You are such an inspiration. I know from my friend Elizabeth Reese, she's just obsessed with you, which is I why would you be? Yeah, well, I love you, Elizabeth too. <laughs> okay. So you wrote the cookbook in 2014. And you haven't written a cookbook since, and I'm wondering why, and like, (laughs) if I'm headed your direction or not. Oh, I can't believe that was eight years ago. That's just crazy. Well, you know, the first cookbook that, or my only cookbook, I should say, came along like when I was not even expecting it. You know, I had just kind of started food writing and my blog in 2011, and I was actually, you know, I loved fruits and vegetables, but I really found myself comfortable at the farmer's market. And I don't, I still don't really know how the Minnesota Historical Society found me, but they came and said, you know, which, you know, you're writing your book with them. Um, We have this Northern Plate series and, you know, we see all that you do at the farmer's market. We're wondering if you want to put a pitch together. And I was like, oh my God, like, I have no idea what I'm doing but why not? And um, they wanted it to be on a Midwestern fruit or vegetable or a staple. And so I thought I was thinking through things and like squash is so unique because in our growing season, it's like the only thing that could potentially last you all year round because you have your summer squash through all of the summer and, and into fall. And then if you keep winter squash, how it should be kept, you know, it can last you from November to right now. I mean, I'm sure there's farmers who still are eating some of their cellared winter squash. And so that's what I put the pitch together on and they decided that I should write it. And so I wrote the book while I was working full-time at Target headquarters and it was amazing. It was also exhausting. (laughs) There's 80 recipes in the book, but as you know, like a lot of research goes into these books too, because there is history that is extracted in, um, which is, which was really unique and fun for me. But, you know, I think maybe why I haven't written another cookbook is like, I haven't felt as passionate about a specific topic and except except sourdough, sourdough, which you're like, I don't know what, I mean, talk about pandemic, finding sourdough. Yes, exactly. And so that's kind of, um, if I did, I feel like it would be something around that, but, you know, and I think it's really important to have a a pretty specific topic these days for cookbooks, because there's such saturation with cookbooks. Yeah. And, you know, like, I love your idea um, of the cabin cooking and stuff like that, because it's just not, you know, there aren't things for that. And same thing with squash. That was like what I thought would be so great is that you see these squash at the farmer's market. You don't know what to do with them. And why not have a book where you open it up and it's organized by squash 
instead of like by appetizer or dinner or whatnot, because you don't like look at an acorn and squash and be like, oh, or, you know, go, I'm, I need an appetizer to make. I'm going to pick out an acorn squash. It's, it's, I have an acorn squash. What am I going to do with it? Yeah. And I think that's what people found to be really helpful with the, with the book. You know, it was, it was expansive in terms of like teaching them about some different types of squashes, but not so out of the realm that you couldn't find them at the farmer's market. But most right. people like would probably see a Hubbard squash, but be like, ah, but then they had, you know, well, I have like six recipes that I could possibly make now. So I'm going to try one. So it was Here's great. What's, so you got into sourdough during the pandemic. Yes. I was late to the party, but I got there. Yes. And you have made so many great things with sourdough bread, sourdough discard. You're now selling starter on your website. Here's yep. my problem with sourdough. And maybe you can help me with this. Cause right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm going to be home like through the yep. day. And I'm like, yep. wow, I've got my starter in the refrigerator, but I yep. haven't like fed it or done anything with it for days, weeks, yep. actually, if I'm being perfectly yep. honest. Yeah. So it, the idea of like making sourdough bread is like, I'd have to feed the starter again and get it going. And so yes. sourdough is like, and I get, this is why that women on the farm loved it because it's a lifestyle because you're making bread a lot. Yeah. And I mean, a lot in that, like, you know, really like to keep your, to keep it up so that you wouldn't be in the situation that you're in right now, where like you have to kind of reactivate it and get it woken up again. I mean, most people that I teach are baking like once a week and they, you know, so it's like, you can keep it in the fridge for most of the week. And then Friday you take it out, you do two feeding cycles, and then you can make the dough on Saturday and bake it on Sunday. And then they kind of have some bread. And it's just, I think that's one of the things is like getting into the routine and figuring out what works for you because it's not hard to do. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a different way of doing things. That's not like a commercial yeast where you mix it. It's ready in three hours. There's a little planning. (laughs) I love your concept though, because I tend to cook a lot on Sundays. So if I think about it on Friday, like, okay, start feeding it. Yep. Do two feeds mix it, do the thing on Saturday. It goes into the fridge for its overnight final rise Saturday night. You wake up and you bake bread on Sunday. And so it's, and, but sometimes it's like putting that in context for people because there's so much information out there about sourdough. And that's why I kind of try to like keep it at layman's terms for people because there, there, yes, there is science and stuff to it, but you don't need to get into that to bake successful bread, you know, you really, really No. And the key to it is like you said, kind of like a lifestyle, it's a hobby. And so the more you practice, the better you understand what the dough should look and feel like. And that's how you really get better at it. You know, I'm talking with Amanda Poff from Heartbeat Kitchen and also the cookbook author of Smitten with Squash, also a giant Instagram phenomenon. And you like, I never thought about using sourdough discard really. And now I'm using, and you know, I'm not cooking with sourdough a lot. I've done it like four times. I want to do it more though. And like, I made these great non that sourdough little nons that were so easy that I would have never thought about if all of a sudden I was like, oh, I should use this discard and do something with it. It really does like give a, just a different 
taste, like subtle. It's not overwhelming. It's very subtle, but it's just such a good way to repurpose something that you think you might not use, you know, and always have it on the ready. I mean, the biscuits like that I have on my, on Heartbeat Kitchen, um, they're five ingredients. They use the discard and they just have this elevated flavor because of the discard. Yeah, it's more complex. It's so, it's more complex, but there's, you know, so easy. It's just, it's wonderful. Yeah. So you, in 2017, you start kind of leaning into what I will call food styling. And now Mm -hmm. you're like Instagram famous and a food stylist. (laughs) How does that become a career? Were you a photographer before, or are you just keenly good at it? No, I was not a photographer before. And actually like growing up, I was very much engineered towards the sports realm of things. And um, that was kind of my parents' background and what they, you know, carved out for me. I I went to college and played division one golf, had a degree in marketing, did a couple things, was at Target when the book came along. But I realized once I picked up a camera that I did have a creative side to me that I had never been able to explore. And as somewhat of a perfectionist, for some reason, my brain let me explore when it came to food styling and photography. And I think part of that is because I didn't I, I didn't have anything to go off of, right? I didn't think I have anything to judge myself off of. It was just, oh, this is like really kind of fun what I can see through the lens. And so, you know, I, I just really expounded on this creativeness to make food look appealing to people, but also realistic, you know? Um, I, I enjoy food looking at its normal state, but also being very enticing to want to eat. Um, And so, you know, and my, I think it was around like 2017, 2018, that I really kind of found my own style. And I think that's what you'll find with food photographers is, you know, you, you, what you ideally want as a food photographer is for someone to see your photo, but not see your name and know, oh, that's one of Amanda's photos. I do. And (laughs) thank you. I know. And I Uh, just, I, when I started doing the cookbook, I was like, you know, I didn't know anything, same kind of thing, like, oh, I'll pitch this book and it'll be so fun. And then I get the agreement and I realize I have to photograph the whole book. Yeah. I mean, if you look at my book, I mean, it's black and white photos. Like a lot of them are stock photos. They're absolutely awful because these, like the ones of mine were taken with a point and shoot camera. I had no idea what I was doing. Sure. But it's also kind of like, I don't know what I like humbly love about this cookbook because it's really not about that. It's about the recipes, you know, and I'm sure you found that too. It's like, it also, I think sometimes with cookbooks that are so beautiful and grandiose, it can be intimidating as a home cook. So when they don't have a vision of what it should look like and they just create in their own kitchen, I think they come off a little more satisfied too, because- You and know? you talk about being a home cook. Yes. I mean, A, you are a home cook, which makes me identify with you because that's how I describe myself because I'm yeah. not a trained chef and I'm not a restaurant tour and I'm not a food expert. I'm just no. someone that loves food that gets in my kitchen and likes to entertain and make tasty dishes for people. And that's yes. my point of view is 
Yes. You know, does it look great on the camera? I don't know, but it sure tastes good. Or yes. if the cake is falling over, you know, I'm definitely going <laughs> to yes. be the, the one who's going to try to put it back together with cream cheese, same. you know? Same, same. I mean, and who hates a little more extra cream cheese frosty? That's right. I mean, gosh. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you did a oh, whole, in addition to all the things you do. So now you're a food stylist. Do like brands call you and like book you? Do you do like, how do people it's, find you? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So, you know, I, I do several different things, obviously to be an entrepreneur. And one of them is like the photography and the food styling, because like, I mean, to be honest, like most, most companies or most food magazines or whatever, they have a food stylist, a prop stylist, a photographer, an editor, a, you know, a, a photograph editor and all that. And so I kind of, I do the photography and the food styling. Sometimes I do one of each, but it's, it's very much word of mouth or it's Instagram, you know, Instagram. Well, it's changed a lot in the last year, unfortunately, but it, it, for me, it's, it's acted as a portfolio, you know? And so that's, I think how a lot of brands have found me. I would say that since the pandemic, the it's it's a shift in how brands are doing their photography where it's gone more commercial again it's very interesting so they're they're spending a lot more money going into like commercial photo shoots and i'm not really sure why that is but so but then the interesting thing is they've also outsourced more of their influencer work and i think what they're doing is they're using a lot more of that content and using that on their website, they're paying for the more of the rights instead of just paying for like an Instagram photo. They're saying, we want this right for digital print, blah, 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 blah. So my work has increased on that side of things, I would say. And just because of the change in how that industry yeah. is going. So someone will say to you like, hi, I'm um, Pillsbury flower. And yeah. I want you to make a recipe with my Pillsbury flour and photograph my recipe. Is it still, it used to be that it was about for every thousand followers, it was about 10 bucks. So yeah. if you had, you know, 10,000 followers, it's about a hundred bucks a post, 20,000, yeah. 200 and so on. Is that still kind of the going rate? Cause it it's feels like list. a lot of people that have a thousand or less are like, oh, I'll do a post for a hundred bucks. It's like, yeah. Well, no, it's the wild, wild west, especially with like, you know, a, again, talking about saturation, there's so many people doing this, whether it's in fashion, influencing food and blah, 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 blah. And, and what I've seen from brands actually is that they're going almost more towards like, they'll have a campaign and they'll split, they'll take like a group of what they call micro influencers. So like less than 30,000. And then they'll also do a hit of like more than 500,000. So they, because a lot of times just like a billboard ad might not be as compelling because you're always seeing that, or you're always seeing that person promoting something. Whereas like a micro influencer, those people are very selective in what they choose to talk about. And so they'll actually see more return on that. But you know, in, in terms of rates, like really, I mean, it's, it's all over the board. There are some people who, because they know it's a large brand, they'll negotiate gigantic numbers. And then there's other people who have no clue and will not charge enough. And so what that creates is an industry that is very unchartered. And there's no like, oh, you can go and look this stuff up, like a salary type, yeah. you know, like a, a, whatever glass ceiling like you can't no it's just 
you got to kind of shoot from the hip. I did and notice. You gotta, and you got to ask your peers too, who are like are similar to you and similar quality to you. And we've done that. I would say there's probably like a group of maybe 20 to 30 of us all over the country. And we have a private Facebook group and we have very transparent and open conversations because you don't want to hurt other people in the industry, but you also, you know, you just kind of have to work together. And it is your living. So during the pandemic, did that change? And all of a sudden, I mean, you were always someone who was working from your house and then doing your food styling. But for a lot of people, you know, your brands, you couldn't sample anymore. You couldn't. So they started going, turning to the internet and social media and more influencer work. Yes. And I mean, it, yeah, it, it only, my work only increased during the pandemic and going into it. Like when that March hit, I was like, I have no idea what is going to happen. And actually it was funny because some of the companies even had to like, instead of putting more money into marketing, they had to pull back because of the supply issues. Yeah. And they were like, we can't be promoting our product knowing that people can't get it. Yeah. And so in that sense, it was a very interesting how kind of things shifted during that time. I don't think anybody could have um, foresaw what that was going to look like. Do you have like a manager or do you manage yourself? Like you must get tons of messages on Instagram and DMs. and I manage myself, but I am also a manager for two other women in the food space who are much larger than myself. But because I have kind of this dual background, I was in marketing. I, I was a pharmaceutical sales rep for eight years out of college. Um, and then I worked at Target until I finally went on my own with this career in 2015. And so a lot of creatives, they're so good at what they do, but they don't know the business side and they end up just getting taken advantage of really. And they don't know how to leverage themselves. And so that is kind of a part of my business that has come along in the last year and a half. And um, I'd always thought of wanting to do it and consult. And I absolutely love it so much to help other women be successful and it can be life-changing, you know, it really can. And it's been really great. When you say that Instagram has changed a lot in the last year in particular, what do you mean by that? There, you know, there's so much focus on, on video. And I mean, if you, and they've also just changed, I mean, they changed their chronological algorithm years ago, but as far as like what they're putting in your feed now, it is very much driven by what they want to put in your feed. (laughs) And, um, So it's gone from being an expressive place, I feel like, to a place where all you are trying to do is get views and, you know, and make something go viral. And you have people dancing and doing like the weirdest, you know, and pointing to these air, like, I, I can't even like for I think for like, someone who's more of like an artist and a creative, it is so busy and overwhelming and overstimulating to look at it that you're like, someone stop this. (laughs) And, um, you know, and also the other changes is like the way that they've basically any type of work that is sponsored by, you know, a brand that's paying for it just gets throttled. I mean, they won't show it to hardly anyone. And brands are understanding that. I mean, from my side, it's like, I go in and tell them like, I can give you the prettiest piece of content you could want and it might not get seen and I'm sorry (laughs) like 
uh, you will have to pay you. You are going to have to like pay for that ad. You know how they can pay for ads yes. to really get it. If you want to, if you want it to really be seen, you're going to need to do that. You know. Yeah. And so that's it's 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 discouraging because it's changed so drastically. I think it would be different if it hadn't started that way. <laughs> Yeah. And I think now that's funny you mentioned that because when someone does an influencer campaign, I do encourage them that you have to also pay to post these. Yes. Because if you don't have sponsored posts on these, no one will see them no because one's see it's, them. they make you tag, but yep. at the same time, when you tag, they lower the page views. Yeah. Just so completely it's a double-edged it. sword. And yes. it's also like, it's also kind of weird what is like videos are obviously where it's at, but you like these, some of the videos are like, I'm throwing four ingredients into my salad bowl. And then from high above, I'm pouring dressing. Yeah. And then I'm putting my cute face right up in your camera with my glossy (laughs) lips. And I'm going, "Mm, tasty salad. And that, that is then inspiring content. Because I don't know, a four ingredient salad, while sometimes is amazing and can go viral like the green goddess did. Yes. I don't know if that's great. So then I think, are we going to like, I almost think we're going in the reverse direction where the less produced, the more real, the more you get to know the person that you like, which is kind of why I like to follow you a lot. And I follow Elizabeth too, and just more real people that I know. Yeah. And, and I, I've seen too a shift, I would even say personally with my audience and readership, like from my blog where people are, I, I send out a Sunday newsletter. It's not a paid thing. It's not anything, but it's just, here's what my week was like. And it's really just talking about my life and in bullet points and like what I ate that I liked, what I stupidly bought on Amazon, but it's ended up changing my life and like, blah, blah. And I, get so many emails back from people and it's almost like they're kind of lonely they're feeling such a good connection from like actually interacting with someone and just instead of just seeing this you know busy hamster wheel basically and for me that's always been my passion behind this is like connecting with people giving them the confidence that like you can be in your kitchen and enjoy it without it being overwhelming and you can take it as far as you want on either side, you know, and there's no shaming. There's no, none of that. This is yours to do whatever with. I I made this peep vase that I'd, I saw it somewhere. Actually a listener sent it to me and said, you know, look at this. It's super cute. So I talked about it on weekly dish and then I decided, Oh, I'm doing, I've got TV this week. I'll do it on Jason show and I'll make this thing. And it was very easy. And a woman sent me a picture of the one that she made and it was epic. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so excellent. Great. And then a bunch more people sent me pictures. So all week I really delighted in seeing the creativity that all of these people that follow me had. And then this morning, it's the Sunday after Easter when we're recording this this morning, I am looking at my messages on Instagram. And one of the ladies that had sent me early on her vase, she had explained to me that she was going to give it to her mom So she went on Easter to give it to her mom and maybe she went the day before Easter actually. And within 24 hours, her mom dropped dead. She was in a parking lot and had some sort of medical episode and died. And she said, I will always think about her face 
when I gave her this tulip, these tulips with the peeps in them and how cute it was. And she said, I was totally inspired by the fact that I, you made it look so easy. And so I had gone and I'd brought it to my mom. And that's my last memory of my mom is like giving her this. And I thought, wow, if that's not connection, because I don't know this person, she doesn't know me. Right. Right. And those are the kind of moments in your life that can sometimes be super transformative and amazing. Yes. And, and when it reminds you, feel, you why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Like when you feel like you're in a vacuum and you're like, oh God, I have to do like, I'm planning yes. a segment for Thursday. I have no idea what I'm going to do. It's yes. still snowing. You know, we, <laughs> there's no vegetables to be had. It's just horrible, no. dry, bitter Minnesota. But uh-huh. yet like maybe the thing will connect me to someone. I don't yes. know. I just thought that story was amazing. It is. And you'll always remember it too. Yeah. You know? And that will be this connection that you have. And that's what I feel like is so great about the digital world is like, it's so bad in some aspects, but then some aspects are like so transformative and give you a closeness to someone that you would have never had the opportunity to be close with. Okay. Can we get close and talk about your kitchen for a second? (laughs) Yes, we can. You did a kitchen remodel and I've remodeled, I think one, two, this three kitchens your kitchen that you remodeled is gorgeous. Thank you. And you were so clever and smart to document a lot of it. So you could see the befores and the afters and you have, what is your stove? Cause you have an amazing stove. Yeah. The, the stove is a um, blue star, blue star okay. range. Yeah. Yep. And it's the, I, it's amazing. I mean, yeah. I can't say it's not. Um, and that was actually the one Brian and I did the design ourselves of the kitchen. And the one thing that we kind of butted heads on was the, the size of the range. And we knew that the range would kind of be the focal wall. And he wanted, he was like 40 inches. And I was like, if we're going to do this, let's, but we're going with the 48. He's like, no way. It's going to look awful. It's going to look blah, blah, blah. And once it got in there, he's like, I can't imagine this any other way. And I was like, I know. And really, I mean, so again, I'm only, it's just him and I, so two people, we don't have children, but for someone who cooks a lot, having six burners is really amazing. I mean, not that I use all six of them at one time, never, but it, it is really, really nice. And I also love having the double oven, you know, having two ovens and I do use them a lot. I moved into a new house during the pandemic uh, about a year ago, year and a half ago, and it had a general electric profile stove. And I was such mm-hmm. a snob about it. I was like, well, yeah. right away, I need to get a new stove, but it wasn't <laughs> on my priority list of all the stuff that was happening. And then it got to the holidays. So Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I was using this stove and it had two ovens and it had six burners, but I just was a snob about it yet. Every time I use this stove, because it has both gas and electric, yep. it's dual. And then like, it has this feature where you can boil water in like a second, basically yeah. it's more than a second, but almost yeah. because it's got yeah. a super high power That's gas, just like is. whoosh. Yep. And it's funny, but I really, I've had wolf stoves for the last three kitchen mm-hmm. remodels and they're, you know, $5,000 stoves. Yes. This general electric profile stove is pretty yeah. great. Yeah. And I will say like before we moved here and uh, we're in Hudson now, but we were in St. Paul for 10 years and we had to put in a dual fuel GE cafe. That's the one I have. Was amazing. 
was absolutely amazing. And the one downside of Blue Star is they don't make dual fuel ovens or, or ranges. So my stovetop is gas, my oven is gas. Um, now, luckily, and I have a post on this is like, can you bake decently with a gas oven? It's just really to me like any other oven where they all have their intricacies and you just kind of have to get used to yeah. them. So for me, it's not an issue. And I think for most people, it wouldn't, but it is I choice. I would still do dual fuel, but I didn't. And I loved the look of the blue star. So <laughs> absolutely. And it looks because so most of my like sourdough bake, I mean, the sourdough is like covered, right? Because it's in a Dutch oven or in the bread pan that I have. So it doesn't really matter that you're having spurts of heat because it's covered anyways. So, well, yeah. this conversation, I swear it could go on forever and I, I might know. make it, I might call you to have coffee and just, I yes. just, I, I'm a big fan. I thought everything that you've done with pivoting with the sourdough has been really great. And oh. I could just tell you're really a quality individual in our food space. Mm. And we went Thank to a you. dinner. Uh, here's how I, okay. We went to a dinner at Muriel and it yeah. was a dinner for Roos Nordic butter and yes. you sat with like four women that I, I creep on all of you. And I was like, so intimidated to go over oh, to your God. table and say anything. And then I thought, this is so dumb. Like these people yeah. live right in our town. Like yes. you can be friends with them. You don't have to be a fancy no. foodie. No. And we're all just normal. Trying women. to make it work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. make it work and enjoying that dinner as much as you did. Oh my goodness. It was that an was epic dinner. An, oh my gosh. It was so amazing. So where do you like, like every, to, where do you like to eat in Hudson? San Pedro. Oh, Cafe. My fave. it's, I mean, it's so good. It's like, I will never get sick of that place. It is just absolutely delicious. And it's so consistently good. And then they have a sister tapas bar behind it. And also amazing. Their cocktails are amazing. Um, so Pedro's del Este is the, and then, so those are our two favorites, but then there's this little dive bar, um, in North Hudson. So just across the bridge right here and has the best burger and shoestring fries. So those are like, and it's called stars, stars, stars. Okay. I think I've been there. It's like, it's the, and it's, it's a nice dive bar. I mean, it used to not be so nice, but now they remodeled it a couple of years back, but just like, you can't, the burger is just like fabulous. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. You heard it here first from Amanda Pa with Heartbeat Kitchen. Thank you for being a guest today. And I look forward to catching up soon. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks Amanda. Okay. Bye-bye. bye-bye.